0: Hello and welcome to this Linklater's podcast on payments regulation. I'm joined on the line by three of our payments regulation experts. Harry Edis, Hello. Jean Price.
1: Hello.
0: And Paul Harris. Hello. During lockdown, if you're anything like me, you will have been spending more time shopping online. And whether you're buying sweatpants, sweaters or phonics activity books, you might have noticed more options for paying when you get to the online checkout. One of these options has been in the news lately, and that is buy now, pay later. We've touched on this once before in an episode we did last year on payments in Australia. Today, we'll have a closer look at how it is regulated in the UK. But before we get to that, Harry, what is buy now, pay later and how does it work? Well, Simon, broadly speaking, it does what it says on the tin. Buy now, pay
2: later offers customers the option of buying goods today, but not having to pay for them until a point in the future. Some of the bigger operators in the UK market are Klarna, Clearpay and Laybuy. So for consumers it's really just an alternative way of paying for things online. Depending on the buy now pay later firm you use you can delay paying for something you want to buy for some point after your next payday for example or you can split the payments into installments helping you to spread out the cost and manage your budget. How does it work? Well when you're shopping online instead of you paying the merchant The buy now, pay later firm effectively foots the bill and pays the merchant for you. And in return, you agree to pay that money back within a certain period of time to the buy now, pay later firm.
0: Okay, so I can see why having more flexibility in in paying for things online would be very popular with consumers. Um, But how do these buy now, pay later firms actually make money, Gene?
1: Well, the main way the buy now, pay later firms make money is by the fees they get from merchants. Um, As we've seen before, when we look at payment flows on the card model, someone is getting money at every step of the way. It's not run as charity and people don't give things for free. So they get the money from the fees from the merchants from the merchant's point of view they need the experience on their website to be as smooth as possible so we will all have had experiences when we've gone to buy something online and something's gone wrong or the page just crashed or we can't get the payment through and you know there's a very good chance that we may click away from that site and either get our item elsewhere or not buy it at all and merchants don't want to lose out on those potential sales because of hold ups and friction at the checkout and um, offering customers multiple ways to buy, pay is no bad thing, especially for slightly higher ticket items. You know, something I may be umming and ahhing about because it's a bit pricey. If I'm offered to spread it interest free over four payments, it suddenly becomes something that I can afford. So it's clear that there are quite some quite significant benefits that buy now pay later firms do offer to um, merchants. And another one, as well as, of course, taking actually paying for the product itself it's the firm not the merchant who takes the credit risk to the customer the the merchant is guaranteed payment and it is then for the buy now pay later firm to collect payment from its customer so in return for those benefits the buy now pay later phase charge merchants a fee so it may look on first glance as though the merchant loses out Um, But that isn't necessarily the case. So say, for example, you want to buy um, Paul for his birthday, a Watford football shirt. Other football club shirts are available. Um, And that's going to set you back 50 pounds in the Watford shop. Um, So I'm going to go and I'm going to spread the cost and I'm going to buy via buy now, pay later. Well, of course, the Watford shop won't get 50 pounds. Um, What they'll receive instead is slightly less once um, the fees have been accounted for. But if you think about that, that's true for anything that you pay for on card or generally through credit, because there are interchange fees, merchant fees, platform fees. There are all sorts of things that come off what the cash price you would pay for your goods. And as I said, actually, Buy now, pay later can undercut other payment rails. Um, So the arrangements can actually provide financial incentives for merchants too. They can work out cheaper.
3: I suppose at that point as well, um, it's worth also pointing out that the other way that um, some buy now, pay later firms could earn money is actually through fees charged to consumers themselves. So whilst the the terms of using buy now, pay later uh, services will will normally include um, a late fee, Um, if payments are missed after a certain period of time, they don't necessarily always do that. Um, But I think, having said that, from what we've seen, this type of charge is really used primarily as an incentive for the consumer to repay on time rather than as a key income stream for the actual buy now, pay later firm, particularly given, as I think we're going to uh, come on to, um, the imposition of charges could potentially impact the regulatory status um, of the buy now, pay later service.
0: Thanks, Paul. That's a neat segue, actually, because I was going to ask, how how are these buy-now-pay-later firms regulated?
3: Thanks, Simon. Great question. Um, Yeah, I suppose it's worth acknowledging at this point that for a payments podcast, this topic is actually taking us dangerously into the world of consumer credit. Because what we have here is effectively a business model that's extending a line of short-term credit to individual consumers. But it doesn't have to be regulated consumer credit uh, in the regulatory sense um, because instead there are certain exemptions to the regulated consumer credit regime so it's possible to structure buy now pay later services as a type of credit that is not actually regulated um, when you're buying something for relatively small amounts like a Watford shirt for example. (laughs) Specifically um, there are kind of two ways um, or two key considerations that you need to factor in if you want to structure it outside of um, regulated consumer credit the first one is that you have to pay it off um, within uh, 12 months. So you, you pay off the loan um, within a, a, sh- a relatively short period of time. And in fact, most buy now, pay later firms require full payment within a few weeks, three to six weeks is the typical uh, payment period that we see. Um, and then secondly, the credit itself must be interest free. So as a customer, if you buy you know, that Watford 50 pounds or that lockdown rowing machine for 100 pounds that you've left in the corner, um, you should only ever need to pay that £50 pounds or that £100. Pounds. You wouldn't ever pay additional interest charges um, on top of that. So, the upshot for Buy Now, Pay Later providers is that they can structure their services so that they don't need FCA authorization to do business in the UK. Although, I suppose. It is worth pointing out at this point that we have seen a number of different models being used by Buy Now Pay Later providers, including some being unregulated, some becoming authorised consumer credit providers, um, and others even being um, authorised as banking institutions.
1: And I suppose that brings us on to the fact that you can end up with a fair bit of credit without being regulated. Um, so anyone who's trying to do Buy Now um, Pay Later will have to pass certain credit checks, but there are two very different regimes, if you like. If you're not regulated, you're going to be most interested in whether um, the person who's applying for it will be able to pay you back. Have they got a good credit record? Um, is there anything indicative of them being overstretched which might um you know, mean you don't get your money back. If you contrast that, on the other hand, with the affordability requirements under the um, consumer credit source book rules, those are quite draconian in many ways. Um, And so you end up with this situation where if you were going to a regulated provider, a fairly full credit assessment will be done. And that will look at all the other credit you hold um, and things on the horizon, you know, Uh, It is very detailed. On the the other hand, if you are going to an unregulated one, it could be much lighter touch. And who's to say that I don't have a sort of uh, uh, an impulse driven spending spree afternoon and rack up, you know, easily 40 transactions with buy now, pay later. None of those will have gone through the same um, rigor as it would do if I was dealing with a, a regulated firm who might. Um, just see that I've got a bit out of control there. So you can see that looking at the bigger picture, policymakers are, are concerned that this type of lending um, is ballooning, because if you have a lot of unregulated credit sitting, you know, on your account, those won't be necessarily be picked up by credit checks, and therefore lenders won't be able to take it into account either. So while by now pay later. seem like a win-win for consumers merchants and firms at the aggregate level i think there is a real significant risk especially in the current situation that it could begin to feed a bubble of debt um and that's why we've seen it in the news recently so these services were relatively popular in the uk before the pandemic Um, And they're becoming more popular. And as they become more popular, more people use them. And as more people use them, we're starting to see more calls for regulatory oversight. So um, there was a push relatively recently by um, some MPs to require the FDA to regulate by now pay later credit services and also um, throwing the net wider to other lending services that have non interest bearing elements. So it's interesting that they're actually thinking about where the market will go because as soon as obviously you cut down 1 channel, someone will find the way through like water through rocks um, to the next thing that's not regulated. Um, there, it was proposed in an amendment to the financial services bill, but it wasn't passed. But it does show that there is a beginnings of pressure for more regulatory scrutiny in the area.
0: Okay, and given that pressure, um, Harry, is this something that the FCA is also looking at? Uh, in short, yes. Um,
2: uh, Chris Wallard, who is a former FCA board member, was asked to lead a review into change and innovation in the unsecured credit market. And that review is going to be covering off credit cards and overdrafts, but also look at the emergence of um, unregulated products like the buy now, pay later arrangements that we've been uh, discussing in this podcast. Now, the, the slight wrinkle here is that these arrangements are actually exempt from FCA regulation. So there's a limit on what the FCA can do, and it will actually be up to the Treasury and Parliament to draw the line between what is and isn't regulated and make changes to the primary legislation. But the Woodard review will make recommendations, and those could include recommending changes to legislation. And we've heard government ministers say that they intend to take swift and proportionate action following the conclusion of the review. So, we'll need to wait and see what the review actually says. But given some of the the public noise that Jean has been referring to, I'd be very surprised if there wasn't some proposals in those uh, Woodard recommendations to bring some of these providers, some of the buy now, pay later um, activities into the scope of regulation by limiting the exemptions that they're currently uh, relying on. Now, what does that mean for the industry? Well, clearly people would have to get regulated in those circumstances, but actually we've seen quite a lot of firms out there who have proactively sought authorization and have been calling for more, not less regulatory scrutiny to prove that they can offer a sustainable business
0: model which acts in the best interests of, the, of their customers. Thanks Harry, and maybe Paul, a final word from you. Uh, why is this um, all of interest to the, the payment sector?
3: Well, um, you can't really have a buy now, a pay later in an online sense without being able to connect up to payment providers. Um, and many online payment providers are now actually looking to offer this option. Um, and with the increasing trend that we've seen, certainly in the last year, um, for people to be shopping and therefore paying for goods online, um, as Jean said, uh, merchants you know, particularly merchants of high value goods, are welcoming any additional payment methods that their website payment processes are able to support um, as, buy, as using a buy now pay later option um, at the online checkout as an alternative to using you know traditional card based um, options is very much um, a method that that will encourage certain consumers who may not have otherwise been able to buy some products. Um, to be able to uh, buy these potentially slightly higher value products so to a certain extent i think there is a a little bit of pressure on online uh, payment processors and acquirers um, to be able to provide these alternatives to to certain merchants Um, and i think um, it's certainly something that we've seen um, uh, in recent months Um, we've had an influx of questions coming in from from merchants payment processors um, and acquirers kind of all looking into into entering into arrangements with buy now, pay later providers. So it's certainly something that I think um, all, all relevant parties are, are looking at um, increasing um, in the future.
0: Thank you very much. And if you have any questions, uh, please do get in touch with us. In the meantime, we will keep an eye out for the uh, review and provide updates on our Fintech links blog. So look out for those. Before we finish, we have time for what you might have missed. This week, Harry steps up to the plate to tell us about the latest on the regulation of crypto assets in the UK. So over to you, Harry. Uh, thanks, Simon.
2: So, th- yes, this is a new consultation which was published a couple of weeks ago by the Treasury, uh, following hot on the heels of uh, the EU's proposals known as MECA. And the Treasury is consulting on its plans to regulate more types of crypto assets. Now, for, for now, it is only proposing to regulate stablecoins, so those type of crypto assets whose value is linked to a particular asset such as the pound or the euro, um, and also which are used as a means of payment, uh, so effectively uh, allowing customers to utilize those to pay for things in the same way that they would utilize their the pounds in their pocket. Um, what this will mean if the proposals go ahead, uh, in, uh, as it seems to be suggested, is that uh, issuers of um, these types of stable tokens uh, and providers of other services relating to them would need to be authorised. Now, some form of service providers to crypto assets need to be author- authorised under the money laundering directives, but this would, um, this would uh, extend uh, the type of authorisation and the rules which they have to comply with. Um, other types of crypto asset, like exchange tokens or utility tokens, uh, may be subject to regulation in a future phase, but that's not part of this particular uh, proposal. And for those of you who want to respond to that con- consultation, it closes on the 21st of March uh, of this year. So still a bit of time to go.
0: Thank you very much. Please do continue to get in touch with us. You can tweet at Linklaters Tech or email fintech.podcast at linklators.com. Until next time, thank you for listening and goodbye.